Church, we just uh, celebrated with these emblems how God provided a Savior for his people. And God has always promised that he would provide for his people. I stood before you about uh, 10 years ago and uh, went through the whole story of how, as the campus grew, we wanted to begin a campus ministry here, the Lions for Christ. And we had property identified just adjacent to our parking lot and an agreement to buy it, but it was bought out from under us. We um, decided to uh, go north of campus and identify the property north of campus. Went to the uh, city and the neighborhood. Uh, some in the neighborhood didn't want a, a, a church facility in their neighborhood, even though there was a pool all across the street. But anyway, go figure that one out. So we couldn't get the proper permitting, so that fell through. Thought about moving it to the building, but we need 24-7 really access. And, you know, with the uh, college students' uh, availability and, and schedule, that really wouldn't work. So we were wondering what to do, and we kept praying and praying. We had always approached the neighborhood, all the neighbors here, and it was always, no, no, we will not sell. So one day out of the blue, we got a call, and the house right next to the Family Life Center, the the uh, the children had called and said, our parents have passed away, and I know they wouldn't sell the property to you, but we want to give you first choice at the property. And so we embarked on that process. I stood before you, and we looked at this verse here, and we had 30 days to raise $100,000, and we raised more than that, and the LFC was born. Here we are 10 years later, and we've had some uh, ups and downs, but since... Uh, Kate and, and now Sarah have, have begun their work here, that along with other areas uh, uh, throughout the uh, country, the campus ministry is one of the growing, vibrant parts of the church. This is no different here because, frankly, they're at capacity. Uh, even, let's see, is the fire marshal in here? Even beyond capacity some days. <laughs> They've even moved the um, Thursday meal, where they feed 75 to 100 people every Thursday. They've moved that from the Family Life Center, which was kind of impersonal in a dining hall-type atmosphere, to the campus house, because now afterwards there's more of a connection, and they'll stay longer, and they'll talk, and they'll ask questions, and they'll hang out. But you've got 75 to 100 people in a 12 or 1,300-square-foot house. So many months ago, we knew we were nearing capacity, and we were wondering what to do. So we kept praying, saying, God provide, God provide, show us what to do. A few weeks ago, we got a call out of the blue again. The house very next door to the LFC. They called and said, I know our parents had not been willing to sell to you before, but our father had passed away. Our mother lived there until about a month ago and had live-in care but can no longer live there and had to move to assisted living and we want to see if the church would want to buy that property. We've been approached by several realtors to list it. We've been approached by some who want to buy it. They're house flippers. Don't know if it's the gains. I kind of doubt it though. Chip and Joanne's probably not coming here to flip that house. We've been approached by those who want to turn it into a rent house but we want to see this used for God's purpose, so we want to offer it to the church first. We'll give you right of first refusal. Well, we had thought about adding on to the LFC, but it's a small lot. Um, 
engineering and cost-wise, it wasn't really cost-effective. Uh, if you expand much, you, you get into uh, engineering issues, and you got a tree about that big in the way. So we were wondering what to do. How could we expand? God, we want this to grow, but we're at capacity. So they call us, and they ask us if we're willing to, uh, to consider buying it. They'll offer it to us first. They won't offer it for sale. They won't put, they won't put it up with a realtor. They won't offer any, uh, entertain any other offers. So we, uh, we said, yeah, we would be interested in, and we'll take that to the congregation. We'll talk about it because they've always supported when we wanted to grow a ministry. You know, 400 plus years after this verse here, uh, as the Israelites were getting ready to cross over the Jordan River, go to the promised land that God had promised to Abraham. And he told Joshua to tell the people, he said, tell them, do not fear. I'll go ahead of you. All you have to do is follow. So we believe that God is leading, and what we need to do is follow. This, uh, this house next door is only separated by a chain-link fence. It's about uh, 2,200 square feet, off for about 1,000 more square feet. Costs one hundred dollars to $150,000, somewhere in there. But they've offered it to us first. So we think we ought to uh, prayerfully consider that. Because we believe that one area we need to grow is our area, not only across the campus, but when they leave, they're taking the word elsewhere. They're, they're, they're taking Jesus with them. It's not just benefiting us, it's benefiting the church. So we told them we would take it, uh, discuss it among ourselves, we would take it to the congregation. So we ask uh, two things from you today. Your prayers. Pray for this ministry. Pray for the young people and the lives that are being impacted. Pray for this process. Pray for this uh, potential purchase. But secondly, if you would like to be a part of this, if you'd like to financially contribute, pledge, give something, or give your time or, or whatever, talk to one of us. Uh, find one of the elders after church. We didn't ask for this opportunity. We were praying to God that God, show us what we need to do. How can we grow this ministry? We're, we're at our capacity. Where can we, we grow? And they called us. So on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Folks, you see what's going on here? God's given us what we need to accomplish his purposes. And uh, I'm excited about this opportunity, and I hope you are too. I'm going to make things real simple. Let me ask um, uh, all of the elders and all of the uh, people on staff here, would you stand up? Because I want people to see who you are for a couple of reasons, okay? Yeah, there they are. Here are your shepherds and your staff people who are in this room. Some of them are elsewhere. Keep an eye on who these people are in case you need to talk to them. Okay, thank you, folks. I appreciate that. They're the ones that you can talk to about this opportunity if you have questions. Uh, but listen, I don't want you to leave that at, yeah, I've got some questions and I need to, I need to pick it apart and find out what's wrong with it. No, that's okay. Uh, if you want to do that, come to me. All right? I'll, 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 I'll help you because um, I'll help you. They need to know, too, that you're excited about this. And if you are excited about this, if we're not excited about it, why would we refuse something, as Larry said, that, the, that God is providing, that the Lord has put before us? Um, it seems to me as if God kind of 
has a plan and knows what we need before we even know it, yeah? And uh, we need to be faithful in that. Um, But also, I want to say to everyone who's here, those same people that you saw, maybe today you're new to town or you're, um, you're looking for a church home. Uh, maybe you're looking for a place where you can worship and be involved in, in, uh, in, in life for God. Well, you can talk to any of those people. Uh, you can let them know about it. You can come talk to me about that. Uh, just ask. Uh, we really don't have that formal of a process to begin with. We just try to meet you where you're at to let you know that you're always welcome. You're welcome here every Sunday, and you're welcome to participate in all the good things that happen in this congregation. You know, what's happening here, what this announcement is about, it's what we've been hearing from God's Word in, Luke, uh, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, that there is a power among us. There's the, the power of Christ. And so often Luke uses that word, dynamic. It translates to the ability to do or the ability to work, the ability to make things happen. And Jesus constantly talks about making things happen and doing things. And that sets him apart from the religious leaders of his age who talk a lot but do nothing. That sets him apart from those who were considered the, uh, the perfect model of religious righteousness who fussed over all the, the, the signs and the outward symbols of faith but did nothing because inside they were scared. And Jesus stands apart because he says from the beginning of his ministry, I am the one who the Spirit of the Lord has empowered me to bring good news. And he goes through the list of all of the groups that you would think, well, those people are not the recipients of God's blessings, are they? But Jesus says, oh, they will be now. And I want to emphasize in this last sermon in this series, I want to emphasize the purpose behind that power. Opportunities like this are not just, you know, if if you weren't here in 2009 when that happened, when we bought the first LFC house, that's Lions for Christ house, oh, it was an exciting time. I mean, we, we needed even more. I mean, financially, Larry, would it be a fair statement that financially then we were a little tighter than we are now? Is that a fair statement? Larry says a, that's a fair statement. I trust him on that. So coming up with the 100000 in 30 days was definitely a walk of faith. And so um, I remember people who've gone on who are part of our cloud of witnesses. They were even part of my church neighborhood. I got to name Eleanor Casey because she was like from the beginning. She said, Who, who's going to give? Who, you know, or how, how much do I need to give? How much do they need? Uh, how, how much can I give? And her family was telling her, just wait, just wait, just wait. And on the last night after 30 days, we, had, we were up in the high 90s somewhere. Remember, we needed 100,000. We had something like uh, 97 or something like that. So I got up to tell everybody we'd gathered for a meal. And I said, well, folks. We're at 97, and I think it was Robin Weber came up behind me, and she goes, you've got the rest of it. We're there! You know, it was that quick. Because faithful people were excited about doing what God wanted. I remember that it was our college students. uh, People like Maddie Motes, who he and his family are now here. It was our college students. They said, we want to be the first to contribute towards this. Yeah, and they gave. They gave what they had. 
Others who aren't even part of this congregation. They gave what they had, what God had provided to them. God works that power among us so that we can accomplish His purposes. It's it's not for us. It's for those that, that we don't even know yet. For lost people that we don't even know. What's happening in this campus ministry is so exciting because you, you've got people coming in there now who maybe they, they've never even heard what we take for granted with the gospel. And opportunities are being created to just tell that story. This power has been given to us for His purposes. I want to read to you uh, a text that may seem like a very unusual text for Easter. Because when you hear this text in in Luke chapter 11, uh, there's no cross, there's no empty tomb. Uh, I mean, isn't that what we're. I mean, there's not even an Easter bunny or Easter eggs. I mean, what? You're going to be looking a long time before you find those in the Bible. But uh, none of that is, um, is in here. But I mean, at least with cross and tomb, you would expect to have that for Easter. But I want to tell you that this very unusual text has everything to do with the power of the resurrection and what it means. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be with us as we hear this word Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you are setting before us. And we pray that we will have the faithfulness to follow you and do your will and to trust. And Father, teach us not to be afraid. If you've overcome death, if you've overcome evil, then why on earth are we afraid about the things that we get worried about? Why on earth are we afraid of anything like that when we see just how impressive your power is? Father, we believe that you are able, more than able, to accomplish far more than we can ever ask or imagine. So expand our imagination. Expand our spirit of asking so that we, can, we will ask that more and more of the lost will be saved. That we ask that unrighteousness and evil are defeated firmly and soundly and soon in the lives of people that you love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 11, uh, verse 14. One day, Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. Now the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, well, no wonder Jesus can cast out a demon. He gets his powers from Satan, the prince of demons, from Beelzebul. Others, trying to uh, test Jesus, demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. Jesus knew their thoughts. So he said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say I am empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I'm empowered by Satan, Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you've said. But, But if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. 
For when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe. That is, until someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I'll return to the person I came from. So it returns, finds that former home is all swept and in order, and then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there, so that that person is worse off than before. And as he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the womb from which you came, the breast that nursed you. And Jesus replied, Even more blessed are all of those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. What's really interesting is is Luke just kind of flies over a miracle story here. Did you notice that? One day Jesus cast out an evil spirit that made a man mute. I mean, there's not even a lot of uh, detail there. It's just uh, Jesus is doing what he does every day, casting evil out of people that causes them some sort of suffering. This man can't talk because of this evil spirit. Jesus is just casting it out. What's interesting is the way people explain it. Some people walk up and they say, hey, hey, you cast out a demon. Can I see your papers on that? I need to check that. Do you have a license for that? I mean, can you show us a sign from heaven? Because we need to make sure that this is an authorized exorcism. You know, if I see that kind of power, I'm just going to kind of let it go. I'm going to figure, hey, he knows what he's doing. But, but these people are arrogant enough to say, okay, listen, hey, we need to check that out. We need to verify that. Other cynical people, the, the scribes and the Pharisees among them, they think that they know more than God, so they come up with their own explanations. You know, people are saying, hey, that's proof. I mean, that's got to be proof. He's, he's, he's on heaven's team. No, you know how he does that? He's in league with Satan. That's how he does it. Jesus' response to them is, to say, okay, your criticism just doesn't even work. I mean, criticism is one thing, but when you get criticism wrong, when you get it so bad that it doesn't even make sense, that's, that's pretty pitiful. He says there's no logic to Satan versus Satan. It doesn't make sense at all. I mean, Jesus could turn to them when they say that, and they say, you know how he did this? You know how he cast out demons? He's working with the demons. He's one of them. He's, he's in league with the, the prince of demons. And Jesus could say, you know, this, this isn't how this works at all. It doesn't work like this. Your criticism, you're getting it wrong. I mean, you're, not, you're bad critics, even. The logical conclusion is a very simple formula. It, it ought to be obvious, and they're avoiding the very obvious reality that God is greater than Satan. There's your mathematical formula. God greater than, that's what that little sign means, Satan. You've got a strong man in Satan who has held on to his possessions and is trying to hold on to his dominion over God's creation. And he's very strong and powerful. But a stronger person comes along. And he can't withstand that stronger person. Now, what this has to do with the resurrection is this. 
that the power of God over evil, and, and you could even change this formula to God is greater than death. Because you would think that death would have the last word. But in the resurrection of Jesus, God shows his power that even death cannot withstand God's power to give life. Now that means something. And this isn't just an idea or a concept, folks. This is a reality that you and I live with, and it is the core and the basis and the foundation of the good news. I want to read part of that Luke 11 text again. This is from Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. Sometimes in my classes when we're, we're trying to figure out something difficult, what we do is we say, let's see what Eugene says. And, and what we mean is we're going to go to this translation because he breaks it down in a way that becomes very plain. I think this may be some of Eugene's best works. Because listen to this. Listen to, here's Jesus explaining what that means. First, the parable. When a strong man, armed to the teeth, stands in front his front yard, his property is safe and sound. You know, you know the folks that have those signs, this property defended by Smith and Wesson? You know, that may even be some of you, right? I mean, you know, that's what we do. We like to defend our property. One of the things I loved was the... The road where we grew, uh, grew, grew, the road where we grew up, right there in uh, Brentwood, off Highway 71. There was these two women that lived in a house down there at the bottom of the dirt road. Wonderful little house, just looked so nice and everything. They had a sign that said, "Beware of dog." Makes sense. Two elderly women living in this house. They need some protection. The, what was so funny about that is when you would see the dog. The dog would come out. And it, and it looked like a uh, uh, kind of a living dust mop that was about, you know, that was, that was smaller than my foot. And, uh, I, you know, it'd come out and start barking at you and everything. And I thought, well, I get, maybe, maybe there's something to the sign. You know, maybe that little creature will give you an infection. I don't know, you know. But it would come out barking at you and it's just a big old ball of cotton. And uh, we just laughed at that sign. But when the signs backed up, like if you went further up the hill to where we lived and you, know, and you saw the sign that my grandfather posted that said no trespassing, oh, he meant business. Yeah. He meant business. Um, there was, well, that's another story. Anyway, but when the strong man armed to the teeth stands guard in his front yard, his property is safe and sound. But what if a stronger man comes along with superior weapons? News for the strong man, he's not going to stand. He's beaten at his own game, says Jesus. The arsenal that gave him such confidence is hauled off and his precious possessions are plundered. Say that three times fast. His precious possessions are plundered. Now get this. Here's Jesus now taking us out of the story and telling us what this means. This is war. This isn't, no, this isn't theoretical anymore. This isn't the parable. This isn't metaphorical. This is Jesus talking about the condition that we find ourselves in, good versus evil in the, war, in the world. This is war. And there is no neutral ground. 
If you're not on my side, you're the enemy. And if you're not helping, you're making things worse. Let that sink into us. Because sometimes we may be like those scribes and Pharisees, and I'm not just talking about a church, I'm talking about us as individuals, that we think, you know, I like to keep things organized, I like to do good things, I like to be a a basically good Christian, a basically decent person, Mm mm-hmm. But have we taken a side? Or are we standing back and remaining neutral? Are we really helping? We don't get to be bench warmers in this. We don't get to be sideliners in this fight. Yeah, I, my sports career in high school was made up of me being the, one of the best people who could sit on a bench. I mean, now that, and let me tell you, that was my contribution to the team. All right, Because if you kept me on that bench and not on the court, we had a chance of winning. But what's going on with good and evil? That's not the case. Because that's one is sports. This is war. We need everybody. We need everybody off the bench. We need everybody out of, out of their seats and involved in this. He says it's a war. He says also that if, if, a, if a house is fighting against itself, it's not going to stand. How does it serve the battle between good and evil when we, the ones that are supposed to be on the side of Jesus, are having our own little civil wars? How is that supposed to help? Hmm? Yeah. Oh, I will. I'm going to preach it. Will you hear it? Will you hear it? Will you do it? Will I do it? Thank you for the encouragement. But let's think about that. How is it going to help? And that means that, this, that, that every moment that you and I find ourselves in this world, we are being called out and, conf- and asked to confront evil with truth. Now, this is the purpose of the power. You may say, I don't know enough. Well, of course you don't know enough. I don't know enough. You don't know enough. I'm not strong enough. Of course you're not strong enough. I'm just not good enough. Well, we all know that. Neither am I. None of us are. But there is a power that is good enough, powerful enough, strong enough. It's stronger than the enemy. And that power works in us if we take a side. But if we're not helping, we're making things worse. There was a civil war that happened in this nation. I don't know if you read about it. It's been on the books, and you know, I think they said something about it in school. But uh, back in the 1800s, uh, there was a civil war, and uh, this nation was divided against itself. And, it, and, and you and I take for granted that we live in the United States of America. Hmm? There might not have been such a thing, and we certainly wouldn't be a part of it if it had gone a different way. Abraham Lincoln, the commander-in-chief of the Union armies, is trying to get his armies to do something to preserve the Union. And finally he realizes that, no, this is a fight about freedom. That as long as we have slavery in this country, there can, we, we are hypocrites when we say all men are created equal. But he cannot get his general of the army, George McClellan, to finish the war. Lincoln's doing his job, and he's asking McClellan, McClellan, 
why don't you attack Robert E. Lee? Why don't you attack the Confederate forces? Hey, I know what I'm doing. Finally, Lincoln is, is quoted as saying, if General McClellan will not use the army, I would like to borrow it for a time. And so in 1862, when he fails to... You know, the Civil War could have ended probably in November of 1962. It could have ended two or three years before it actually ended. More lives could have been saved if only McClellan had realized that this was war and wasn't some parade where you march around looking nice and doing the right thing according to the book. So Lincoln fired him. Jesus is saying to us, I don't intend for you to put on a show once a week. I don't intend for you to dress up all sharp and shine your shoes and let that be that. If you're not helping, then you're making things worse. That convicts me. That convicts me because I will confess to you that it's partly occupational hazard with what I do, but working for the church seven days a week, you can get so distracted by things that we think really matter. Programs and buildings and plans. And, and I know we're just getting all excited about a property being offered to us. Hey, that's not to say that any of these things are evil or wrong. It's just whether or not we make them the priority or whether we understand these to simply be re- resources to be used in a war between good and evil. You see the difference? See the difference? And so we got to make sure that those things and those programs, that they, they, we have decided how they are to be used as well. Jesus, after this, calls out the hypocrites, the false leaders. He says, you know, he says, your problem is, and in a way, there's a sympathy in this. Some people see Jesus calling them out like he's angry. Yeah, he is, but there's also a sympathy because they don't even see the problem. And I'm, I'm afraid that that's what happens to us. Sometimes we're in denial. We play at church, but we don't understand what it means to be in this war and in this mission between good and evil. We don't understand the power that, rose, that took Jesus up out of the grave and continues to work in us. And instead, we get worried about polishing our medals and polishing our shoes. And You know, um, one of the things that they did in the Civil War was they uh, made sure that their bayonets were all shiny and sharp and everything. You know what? There wasn't a single bayonet wound in all the Civil War. It was an obsolete weapon. It didn't make sense. Oh, and sometimes we're, we're, we're working over and over and over again on, que- on the answer to questions that no one is asking. When we just need to realize that there's a power that's stronger than anything else out there, and it's stronger than you and I. Jesus said to the, to the religious leaders, he said, you know, it's really sad, and there's a lot of sorrow coming your way because you crush people with unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. God's power, that power that rose Jesus from the grave, is intended for a purpose. The church is intended for a purpose, and that purpose is to see that evil is completely undone. And we will be held accountable for our self-indulgent, self-righteous distractions. God doesn't endorse that. 
So we need to take everything that's dear to us, everything that we think is our pet project, and we need to just surrender it to him and say, can you use this in your war? Can you use this in your mission? And if he can't, we toss it aside. But God is amazing in redeeming things. He redeems lives. He redeems people. He redeems sins. He redeems past experiences. So you may think that you have a lot of things that disqualify you. You may think, boy, there's a lot of mistakes. We made a lot of mistakes when we were looking for that campus house. We thought, oh, this is our project. We got the... God said, no, I don't need that one. I don't need that one. I'll use this one. He's going to make it clear to us. And he's going to make it clear to you. There's people you've been praying for for years. You've been praying that they'll come to know the gospel. Don't give up. Don't give up. God hasn't. But you can't rely on your ability to make that happen. You just simply need to be obedient and trust that the power, the power that's behind the resurrection is also operative within you. That's what that power is. It's not different types of power that God has available to him. It's all the same. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8. He says, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, that resurrection event, that thing that happened then, that didn't expire. That didn't go away. That's still around. That same power lives in you. Read Romans 8 this week. Just use that for your devotional this week. And you will see where Paul is confident that the same Spirit of God behind the resurrection can do so much in our lives too. Not just in the hereafter, but also in the here and now. And this is also what Jesus said. This is why that Luke 11 is an Easter text. It's because from the beginning of his ministry, he said, He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the oppressed will be set free. In other words, there is a strong man out there who has taken possession of things that do not belong to him, the souls of people that God loves, territory and powers that belong rightly to God, but I am going to rip those things away from him And I can do it because the Spirit of God has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the oppressed will be set free. Uh In Matthew 16, um, Jesus says something to Peter. He says, you know, you're, 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 you're the rock. Your confession's a rock. Upon this rock foundation, I'll build my church. And then he says this thing. He says, and the, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. The gates of hell. The gates of Hades or death. You ever thought about a, how a gate operates in warfare? And when's the last time somebody tried to hit you with a gate? You know, when's the last time somebody threw a gate at you? Gates are for keeping people out. And it's for keeping people in. We had gates around our, uh, cat, our cattle pasture. That was to keep the cows in. You always had to make sure you closed that gate or it didn't work. A gate is not an offensive weapon. A gate is a defense. It's a protection. Hell is trying to keep people in and trying to keep God out. And after the resurrection, 
Jesus Christ can say, oh, I can kick the door down, and I'm going to let people out. Folks, if we're on the side of the one who's strong enough to kick the door down, then what are we worried about? But I will say this, what we ought to be worried about is that if we're not helping, we're part of the problem. That's what we need to be concerned about. The good news is, is you can be part of the solution. You can take a side. Those who've been baptized have died to themselves. They've died to the powers of this world, and they've said, my new life is going to be lived for Jesus. Now, that doesn't always work out the way we want it to, but, but guess what? That same power that brings new life out of death, don't you think that that same power can rehabilitate us and it can, make, you know, it can correct our mistakes and work in and through and around us? It can. So I want you to know that that's the invitation of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That he's asking you, he's, he's telling you that you are m- more than welcome to take a side in this. But understand what the purpose of that power is. While we stand up and uh, sing this next song, we're going to confess that he is Lord. When God raised him from the dead. Yeah, go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and stand up. When, when, when God said, um, or when, Je- when God raised Jesus from the dead, he declared that he was Lord. That means he gave him authority, made it clear that he had more power than any power, not just in this world, but any power in any world, anywhere. And we're going to declare that. And if you need to talk to these shepherds who are down here or back there, why don't you let them know what it is that you need, and, and we'll just be here to encourage you. Brent, let's, let's sing this song.